1: Hi there, welcome to the Gagan Pod for another week. Now on the show we talk about the best, worst tackle in the history of football potentially that we saw this week. Nick Montgomery, former Sheffield United hard man, is on the show to express his enjoyment in that. Michael Bridges also stops by as we preview this weekend's Premier League. We talk about which potentially is the worst dressing room to go to across England. And also a bit of a mention for Russian beach football. That and a heap more coming your way on the show. Hello and welcome to the Gagan Pod. I'm Richard Bayless. Great to have you with us as always, Michael Bridges. Hello to you. Great to see you, Rich. Good to be back. And happy New Year to everybody. Oh, that's very nice of you. Happy New Year, Bridgie. Nick Montgomery, Monty. Welcome. You must be uh, riding a bit of a wave at the moment after a great win for the Mariners on the weekend.
2: Yeah, it was a fantastic win. To be fair, well deserved. Um, you know, nice to see Matty Simon, the, the captain, getting some game time and and coming on with two uh, two good penalties. Uh, The last minute to win the game. So, yeah, a lot of excitement at the Central Coast Stadium. But, yeah, for me, well-deserved victory.
1: We'll talk a little bit later on in the show about Australian football. But Matty Simon, Bridgie, he's one of the great heroes in the history of the A-League, isn't he? And to pop up in that kind of manner, the ripped shirt, it's exactly what you want to see from your heroes. You know what
3: it is? Monty will be buzzing because it's exactly how he used to play as well.
1: (laughs) Intimidate the opposition, kick hell out of them and
3: try and get your team result and work your socks off. And that's what he did. He was a game-changer. He came on and, like you say, he he wanted to have a crack. He wanted to wind players up. He's done that in the past. It's gone against him. at times when he gets the you know the red cards and he, he catches people, but it was exactly what they needed. And he's a character, and he's a he's a great character, I think, to have in the league. And
1: um, he he got the result for his team, which I think it was um, very embraceful. Indeed. Australian football a little bit later on in the Gagan pod. We're going to go right around the world in this episode, and it's actually a bit of live football happening. Obviously, whenever you are listening to this, you will know the results of these games and think we are silly for mentioning them at the point we are right now. But there's a couple of FA Cup matches happening as we are recording. Manchester United and Wolves playing in a replay that has to be better than the first one because that was dire. But in the other match today, Carlisle and Cardiff. Michael Bridges keeping a particular eye on his former club, Carlisle, who, at the moment are 3-2 down against Cardiff. We'll bring you the results a little bit later on. As I said you already know them we don't but let's talk about some Premier League first of all because we're heading into a weekend where the big question is can, will and how much will Liverpool win by I guess against the Manchester United who a little bit inconsistent at the moment. This one is it still the biggest game in English football do you think Monty or has it kind of lost a bit of that shine? No, I still think it's a massive
2: game. I um, mean, look at uh, Manchester United. No one expected them to go to Man City and win a few weeks back. So for me, anything can happen. And and, and say Liverpool, outstanding team, absolutely phenomenal. But you know Manchester United on the day they've proven that. You know when they do hit, hit the right notes, they can uh, they can beat anybody. So that inconsistency is uh, you know really really been their the, the
3: down point this season. I was having an argument with my mate few days back about this fixture, uh, the City result, how they were able to counter-attack. United had a game plan to break City down. They were slow at the back. I just can't see that happening against Liverpool. you got Van Dyke, you got Gomez, Robertson, Alexander Arnold. They're all blessed with pace. Van Dyke, I don't think we've seen him sprint this year at all. Uh, and I just can't see United tactically having anything to offer.
1: Remember though, the only points that United, or Liverpool I should say, have dropped all season were against United. It was a game where... The home side and United were a little bit unfortunate probably not to win this one but it showed at the same time how Liverpool always managed to find a way to not lose the game. There'd be a bit of hope you'd think from that performance but what sort of Manchester United actually turns up at Anfield that seems to be the question as well.
2: Yeah for sure Look, Anfield's a really difficult place to play but Bridget you know yourself at times you know in the massive games sometimes it's uh, it's hard to predict and you know, the likes of Rashford on his day and Marshall, we, we've seen that, you know, they are game changers, but they have been inconsistent. But all the pressure's on Liverpool, so it's a different, you know, look, it's like I say, Liverpool have dealt with that pressure all season. But, you know, Manchester United and Liverpool, it's a massive fixture, always will be. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes.
3: Well, they're both very intimidating places to go to. I think if this fixture had been the reverse and at Old Trafford, I would have given United an up, a chance in this one. It's at Anfield. They run Liverpool around in the way they're playing football. I just, I cannot see them touching them. I hope I'm wrong. It's going to be a great game, but I just can't see them affecting Liverpool in any way.
1: Which is the harder place to go to out of Anfield and Old Trafford as a player? Oh,
2: go on, take it away, Monty. I'll probably say Anfield to be fair. Um, I remember <laughs> giving a penalty away against Stephen Gerrard there. Um, but yeah, look, I mean Old Trafford to be fair the last couple of years has lost that little bit of spark where teams go there expecting that maybe they can get result. And I think at Anfield, even when they were not at their, their peak, it was always a place where you, you knew as soon as you walked out of the tunnel it was if you get anything from here it's gonna be a, it's gonna have to be some performance. Can you
3: remember the first time you turned up at Anfield? Yeah, it's and a, you played, and how it was crap, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> the, I mean, the, the the fans are unbelievable, but you, you, I got the same atmosphere feeling when I was at the old Wembley. We made the playoff finals with with Sunderland, and I'm playing at Wembley, and you're thinking this is unbelievable. And you walk in, you go, this place is crap <laughs> behind the scenes. I got that feeling at Anfield. The dressing rooms were terrible. The the place was falling down, and then Old Trafford was completely different. That had that you were, that aura about it, where you knew you were going to a, a ground that. Well, you know, it had character about it, but it was also nice. Liverpool was a nightmare because the fans hated you. The dressing rooms are great. It just didn't feel. But when you got out in front of the the crowd. And you walked over that white line. That's when you realised what Anfield was about. But I'll tell you, you didn't miss anything behind the scenes.
1: You could I explain that as an away player at Anfield. Wembley, though, that's probably less explainable, given that it's for big cup finals where usually both teams are treated equally.
3: Well, that's why they had to knock the stadium down because it was such a disappointment. It, w- it was so barren, and
1: they knocked uh, it down because you were disappointed. I think there
3: was a lot of people
2: <laughs> disappointed. I think uh, talking about the dressing rooms at Anfield, um, you know, one thing at Old Trafford. I mean, you're talking it's like a top class hotel with the with the ice baths, the warm baths, the spas. Um, but I think Klopp said, you know, when he was previously in Germany, he didn't like the away team dressing rooms to be nice. You know, he didn't want teams to come there and be comfortable. And like you say, at Anfield, it was a small dressing room. But as soon as you hit that tunnel and uh, you know walk Alone came on. It was you know, people say the hair stand up on the back of your neck, and they really do. And when you walk out there, it's uh, you know for me, it was it's intimidating. It's just a you know it's a great atmosphere, and, and I mean now it's just phenomenal.
3: Well, even going there three years ago, working for Optus and we went back just before they changed the West Stand. It was the last game of the season at Anfield, and I remember bumping into Jordan Henderson down on the in the tunnel, and there was blooming water leaking through the roof into the corridors at, at Anfield. It, it, it was raining outside, and I'm thinking, this place was falling apart. Yeah, And we're going, are you going to do anything about this? Oh, no, no, the place is getting knocked
1: down next week. Well, other priorities, they've uh, put together a pretty decent football team. But the best story, well, one of the best about an away player going to Anfield it has to be Vinnie Jones when he was with the crazy gang and he wrote bollocks on butcher's paper and stuck it up over the famous sign that says this is Anfield you need to have that approach to it sometimes I think but you know Daniel Farco last year remember for Norwich Norwich painted their away dressing room pink to try to lower the testosterone of the away teams work last season they made it up from the championship this season I'm not so sure. But before we move on from Liverpool and Manchester United, I wonder, guys, given that United, it's now been seven years, a pretty up-and-down, turbulent kind of time, Liverpool are about to break a 30-year drought in winning the league. Looking at United's problems at the moment, are they maybe looking at a similar time away from winning the league, given how big City and Liverpool are and how other clubs around them are? Also there, I mean, Chelsea and Tottenham, it seems, are building too. Are United facing a serious exile, you think, before they win the league again? I think they're going to find it difficult,
2: you know. Like you say, Ole coming in and uh, you know bringing Harry Maguire was a, was a good signing. Um, is that going to make them win the league? No, but I think they definitely need to to bring in some some big name players. And you talk about Liverpool, you know, Milner, Henderson, um, you know, Van Dijk. They have got leaders all over the park, and it's not easy to get them in. Um, you know, it's taken, like you say, Liverpool thirty years to to sort of piece it together uh, with the manager and the players. But for Manchester United, it's always going to be one of, the, if not the biggest club in the world. So attracting players is is not going to be the hardest thing. But I think paying, you know, nowadays in, in football, the paying over the odds for players is is normal. Um, but, you know, given time, you know, and, and how much time is, you know, who knows. But I think uh, that, you know they'll definitely get back to where, where they want to be. But it's, uh, yeah, you can't see it being in the next sort of 12 to, to 24 months. It's, you know, it's going to be a couple of
3: years before they can really build that squad to challenge. I think it's going to be a long time. I reckon six, seven years. United until they get some stability manager wise as well and they get themselves back and I think also with Monty was touching on there you what you've got behind the scenes the recruitment I never I've never known players turn Manchester United down when they come knocking and we've seen it happen at the start of this season um a couple of players de I think Manzukic was involved and there was a few others the names were mentioned it's incredible to think that players are turning United down and that just shows the state that they're in. So they need the stability with the manager and also they need the stability and security behind the scenes with the people that are making the decisions and I think they're all way off United.
1: A little bit later on in the show, we'll talk about January transfers. There are a couple of what-ifs, particularly with Manchester United to that point exactly, Bridgie. But let's hold off on that one, move on to other Premier League matters. I mentioned Norwich a little bit earlier. Now, if they don't beat Bournemouth at the weekend, are we prepared to say that they are 100% gone because Bournemouth another team in the bottom three they look awful at the moment the cherries but Norwich are well and truly cast adrift there are plenty of games remaining but they show real no signs of turning around their poor run are they gone if they don't win this one Look,
2: it's going to be difficult for them to get back in, um, you know, they a real, real bad run of form after a good start. You know, remember, start of the season, they beat Manchester City um, and, you know, it looked like things could be bright for them. But, you know, since then, it's all sort of been downhill and the teams above them, are, you know, they've, they've picked up a bit of form. So for me, yeah, they're, it's going to be uh, very, very difficult for them to get out of that hole.
1: They're eight points from safety, Bridgie, Watford uh, in great form, Villa have dropped in. It's interesting to compare Villa and Norwich, two sides that came up, because Villa have spent a heap of cash, and Norwich haven't really spent any, which means they'll be in a better position if they go down. Villa might be in a world of hurt, but Norwich, first of all, surely they're gone if they don't beat Bournemouth.
3: I I think they're gone regardless, Richard, whether they get a result or not. I feel that Norwich have gone, you've seen the Eight adrift, they've got Liverpool to come as well. To, um, in the next five matches, I, I see the transition and the transformation that Pearson's made at Watford. He knows what he's doing in that in that relegation battle. He's shown that he's given the players new lease of life, and I think he's brought a bit of accountability back to that club where the lads have got to perform. With with Farker, I just think it's almost like everything's nice. It's you. Every time you hear him, you you want to hear him have it. Kind of have a go, but it, everything's so nice. It's you know, it's Christmas. It's nice. We're in a relegation, <laughs> but it's still nice. And I'm thinking, mate, he, he doesn't. He doesn't give us that drive in the relegation battle. When things are going good, he must he'd be brilliant. I just can't see him inspiring at all. I don't see an accountability there. And I believe Norwich, like you say, are already looking ahead to next season in the Championship. They're not going to spend. Then, hopefully, they can try and bounce back, and that gives them a little bit more of a, a security blanket. And Villa, if they go down, there are going to be in a world of hurt.
1: Why were you so tentative when you said Daniel Farga's name? Just in case I made a fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, Villa have spent so much cash, haven't they? And, you know, you look at the fact they've got a manager in Dean Smith who actually supports them, you would think that's a good thing, but it's starting to kind of go wrong, isn't it? And six goals shipped in against City. They're not the first. They won't be the last team to concede six, particularly with a Kevin De Bruyne playing as well as he did in that game, Monty, but... Do do Villa think about making a change? If any of those bottom three sides, you know, Villa, Bournemouth and Norwich, it seems as though Villa are probably the ones that need to do something quick smart.
2: I think Bridget touched on it there. You going to look at Watford the way that um, you know Nigel Pearson's gone in and approached that. Uh, you know he's all about results. They need results. They need to to get out of that bottom three. Um, and you look at Norwich and you know they're still trying to play out from the back. They're still trying to play this pretty football. And like you say in the Premier League, you make mistakes in in your in your half and you get punished. And I think they get they get punished every week. But in terms of Villa, massive club, spent huge amounts of money um, even last year. And this season, but yeah, I mean, like you say, foreign owners—you know—they were going to accept going down after spending all that money. Um, you know, time will tell. But said Dean Smith started off well. Obviously, John Terry's there supporting him as well. So who who knows? You know, um, you know, I'm sure it, if there's a change, there'd be plenty of people in for that job. It's a massive club, but yeah. It's I was going to say, why why do you call Villa a massive club? I just are, I mean, just historically, they're 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 a big club, and you know, you talk about spending power. You know, the the way that they've spent the last. Sort of, you know, a couple of years as well. Going into the Premier League this year, they've given it a real go, and it's uh, it's failing. So, it's, it's it's definitely a big pressure. Cause I,
3: I use the word Villa, big club as well, and that's why I ask because I see fan base, I see the history, I see a club that you want to see in the Premier League, and I see a team like Burnley who are in freefall, and I don't, I don't want to have a go, but the stadium, the fan base, it's not a Villa. And I think it's they've lost three or four in a row now. I would rather see a Villa survive and stay in the Premier League and see a Burnley and they're, they're you know slip that way and, and get relegated because the teams like Villa when you go there and you used to play there you absolutely love it because it felt like a stadium and it felt like it had that that
1: you just knew they were a big club. You could probably apply that same logic that you've used for Burnley to a Bournemouth as well. But the problem is that the big club argument, where does it end? I mean, you need to throw, obviously, Leeds into that. Nottingham Forest, I mean, Wednesday, you could throw into that. If you were to look at it... That's 10 minutes into the podcast and you've mentioned Leeds. That's (laughs) a a, a new record. It's not bad. It's not bad. But if you were to apply the big club logic and say, all right, the biggest 20 clubs in England should be in the Premier League, well, then where are your fairy tale stories coming from? The whole idea about relegation and promotion is that the small clubs can mix it with the big ones, and and no club has the the god given right to be in there. Is the last sixteen years in my personal well, journey?
3: Had their fairy tale. They've had their run. They've come from oblivion, yeah. collecting hats. They've had their time, and they they are they, they are where they should be. You know and I feel like Eddie Eddie Howe might have outstayed his welcome because I think he's a, a fantastic manager and a coach. Hearing the hours he operates, hearing everybody that speaks about him, I think it's. He possibly should have gone last year somewhere if he had the opportunity and um, whether, they, whether they get relegated or not, he I think he, he's on the move because he, he's got a big bright future and I think Bournemouth are sucking the life out
1: of him now. Well, one of the big worries for Eddie Howe and Bournemouth is that apparently what we're hearing uh, from the locals there is that it's an awful place to be when the results aren't going their way. Apparently the, the fans are on the players back, they can sense that anxiety, the players and it rubs off on them. It's It's a tough situation, but they're not yet out of it. They're only a couple of points away from safety. This weekend, we mentioned Villa. They play against Brighton. They have to deal with the Australian Pilo and, of course, Matty Ryan in goal as well. And overnight, we heard some great news that Brighton will be matching the bushfire donations by Aaron Moy and and Matty Ryan, which is fantastic, uh, getting that dollar figure up there. We also saw at the weekend the Premier League matched our donation as well at OptiSport when it came to how many goals were scored. It was a bit worrying there for a while as well, Bridgie, because... After the first eight games, there were only 17 goals. We thought, oh no, it's going to be the lowest scoring round there is. But thankfully, Aston Villa helped us out and shipped in six. 27 goals over the weekend, 54000 bucks to bushfire donations across the country. But the good thing is that hopefully people around the world see those donations and themselves uh, want to chip in. But uh, yeah, good to see some goals on Sunday. Watford did their part too. They did their part. I was thinking that game Watford could have been,
3: I thought it was going to be a draw. I really fancied Watford, but I was hoping a 3-3 or 4-4 because of the bushfires. And then City just absolutely turn it on and, and getting the um, the money as high as possible. And like you say, it, it's tragic what has gone on in this country. I've been over to Malaysia for a few weeks over Christmas and looking back at the news and seeing what was going on. I left when it was smoky. I, I just find it, 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 I mean, it's, it's devastating. um. But the, you know, the people around the world that have recognised that and, and come together, I just think it's absolutely in, incredible. And, um, you know, we feel for everybody, but everybody's doing their part to try and help and, and soften the
1: blow. Elsewhere this weekend, Burnley and a Leicester side that seem to be a little bit out of confidence at the moment, Monty. I wonder whether you think Leicester's bubble has burst.
2: Oh, look, I mean, the expectation level on Leicester is is massive. You know, Brendan Rodgers has come in there. He's done a fantastic job. You know, don't forget that they sold Harry Maguire for massive money to Manchester United and he was a, a rock for them at the back. Um, so losing him and, you know, they haven't gone out and spent huge money. So I think, you know, they're, they're having a fantastic season. Has the bubble burst out? I mean, look, like I say, realistically, they're, they're a good Premier League team now. Um, but like I said, I think expectation from the fans and, and probably people from the run that, that, that Leicester had, um, he's just about sort of leveling out now, so I think they're, they're you know they're still a great team and and they'll push on this season.
3: I still think they're tucked in that bubble. I mean, what third in the third in the Premier League? Mm. Um, Brennan Rogers, are an unbelievable manager, has got them back playing a style of football which is counter attack, but they've got the possession side of it defensively stronger. Losing Harry Maguire and and just seem to breeze it, and they've actually got a better defender, I believe, in Johnny Evans, who's just slotted in there um, for about what three million that he came in for. I think what Leicester are doing behind the scenes is incredible. They they're getting the youth policy going. They they're putting their money in the right areas, and the the I think what they're doing is making this club secure for a number of years. They they've got they've got a vision, and they are abiding by it. It's not just about we've got to survive this season, where a lot of clubs do. It's a short, what what's it, what's it like a short mindset, short yeah, term, yeah, yeah. They're looking for in the, the the owners with the the, the money with the um, the tax duty free over there. Sorry. Uh, they've got money. So, I, I you know, they, they're spending the right areas, they're doing great things, and I just think they're riding the bubble rich, and that, that is not going to burst until
1: they get relegated, and they won't get relegated. You wouldn't have thought so. The financial power of going to the Champions League again. They have a, a decent buffer over fifth. They're not going to drop outside the top four, you wouldn't have thought. Just the last couple of weeks, a couple of the results have gone against them, and the performances, they haven't seemed as energised against Southampton. They could have lost that by four or five. Southampton have been pretty good lately, but Leicester... Yeah, I think it's maybe a little bit premature, but against Burnley, a tough away trip by all accounts will be a bit of a test for them. Now, last week, we mentioned Manchester City's scoring run. Sergio Aguero, his scoring run, he's now scored more goals than any other non-English player in the history of the Premier League. I wonder whether you think he might be a chance of breaking Shearer's record. He's still 83 short. It's a long way to go. 31 years of age, but he doesn't really show any signs, Monty, of slowing down, certainly not in his goal-scoring ability. Oh, look, he's phenomenal. You know,
2: you look at him every week, he's, he's low sense of gravity, he's so powerful. And, um, you know, anywhere in and around the box, he gets the ball and, you know, he's going to hit the target. So for me, he's, uh, you know, he's still at a good age where he can keep scoring goals for, for many years to come. So I think Alan Shearer will be uh, looking at him and hoping, um, you know, he has a bad, a bad run of form. But, yeah, a fantastic player. And, and for Man City,
3: he's been outstanding. I can't see him getting close to Shearer's record. It's, it's a long way. But I hope he does because... Alan loves talking about his goals <laughs> and he's on social media, giving it every week. And Aguero, did he beat his hat-trick this weekend, didn't he? twelve hat-trick, I think. And I love it how Alan puts out, he put out a tweet going, congratulations, really, at the back of Alan's mind. He would have been so pissed off, <laughs> I'm telling you. And it's great because he'll have got a load of stick from, from the lads as well, re- reminding him that he's not the best striker for the hat-tricks in, in England anymore. Um, but honestly, he, the record that Alan has got, I cannot see Aguero coming
1: close to that. You play golf with Alan a bit. You did yeah. a couple of months ago when you were last in the UK I Nothing think. Nothing better than beating him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask is he is he super competitive everywhere? Unbelievably competitive.
3: And it, it, it's funny when you when you're playing golf and he's winning he's very very chirpy and you you know he, he, when he's behind he goes so quiet and the last six, the last three holes he he switches on he tries to put you off and I'm thinking Oh, no, where's that bit of banter gone now this becomes serious um, com, competitive but that I think that's what makes him the man that he is. It doesn't matter whether you're playing, buddy, Monopoly, you're playing golf or you're crossing that white line to train. He he used to be the most competitive and most professional man um, like I've played with because Alan didn't have the dribbling technic- technical side of it. He didn't have the ability to go past players. His movement and his finishing, and he worked on that every single day. Every single day, just whip that ball in, let me head the ball, let me do shots. It was It was just incredible to witness. And I used to feel for the right winger, a lad called um, Brit- uh, Britain at <laughs> the youth team. <laughs> he should have made it as a pro footballer. But the amount of times he was sat stand just on the right wing and just whip balls into Al and then go nice his leg because he delivered that many balls. <laughs> I felt sorry for the kid. He was worn out by the age of 19.
1: Well, that's the crazy thing. You look at someone like a Kevin De Bruyne and, and his ability to whip in unbelievable crosses we've seen uh, recently. If you can put those players together. But Aguero hasn't. Um, you know, he's certainly made the most of the supply lines he's had. And he's got plenty more left in him, no doubt about it. Whether it's at City or anywhere else, who knows? But moving on to the continent now. Some big news this week, guys, coming out of Barcelona. They've got rid of Ernesto Valverde, their coach, who, let's be honest, didn't do too well there in the three years. He only won two La Liga titles, one Copa del Rey, one Super Supercopa, got them to the Champions League semi-final <laughs> once, a Champions League quarter-final on another occasion, and didn't lose a single game in the group stage of the Champions League for three consecutive seasons. He had to go. What chance have you got, man? Please. Monty, oh, come on. Uh,
3: it's a disgrace, I look, isn't
2: it? A, like I say, talk about the biggest clubs in the world, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, and that's something that, you know, you look at his record, you just spoke about them, Rich, and yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, if you're going to lose your job in that, then we've got no hope,
3: Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off. I'm putting the, the coaching badges we've just finished, forget it. The, when, you, when you're winning, the amount of things that he has done at, at a club, I just don't know where the loyalty is. I, I find it phenomenal, and that's the pressure that comes with big clubs. But he's delivered.
1: Well, I mentioned the fact that they made the semifinals of the Champions League and the quarterfinals. They were his undoing because of the manner in which they lost. And well, I
3: fancy them to win it this year. I yeah. still fancy them to win the Champions League.
1: It's going to be interesting to, to see whether that's possible because they bring in a guy in, Kike Setien, who's never actually won anything. So you go from one of the biggest clubs in the world and their expectations to a guy that by all accounts all, is an amazing coach in terms of the way he gets his teams playing. I was talking to Johnny A. Alouisi this week and he said, you watch the football they'll play under Setien. It will be Unbelievable the better team that he had playing was mind-blowing. But defensively, they'll be awful, and that's what they are now. So it's going to be fun to watch them the rest of the season. Yeah, look, he's 61
2: years old coming into a job like Barcelona. But like I said, I've read some of the stuff about him. He seems like a, probably a crazy football genius. But, you know, when you've got the best players in the world, in your squad, like you said, possibly he brings in one or two defenders and good luck for whoever whoever they play against. Because, like I said, it's... Uh, you know, a lot of people have positive stuff to say about him, so it's going to be interesting to see it unfold.
3: First job when you walk in that door, get like, get messy on your side. It's big yeah. time. <laughs> and I, I just love this week, it was talking about Sergio Aguero, the question to Pep, like where does he stand amongst the best players in the world? And he went, best number nine. That's number nines, and he went. Pep just went, well, Messi 11, Messi 10, Messi 9, <laughs> Messi 8, Messi 7. And Aguero maybe gets in there somewhere. That just shows you... The magnitude and of what that man is. So any manager coming in, get him on your side, get him playing well. You've got a chance.
1: But you would think that Messi would have certainly approved him coming in before he did. He's so he, a massive say. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I was doing a bit of research. Uh, the ever-reliable Wikipedia, of course. So I was reading through uh, Setian's Wikipedia, and apparently, on, on his CV, he was the former assistant coach of the Russia national beach soccer team. So when you guys talk about your coaching careers, unless you go off and are an assistant coach. For a beach soccer team, you got no chance.
2: Oh, there might be some other reasons he took that job. Um get myself
3: down
1: to Terrible <laughs> Beach, <bit>, eh? <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good that's a good fact, which um, yeah, wow, yeah, come from beach football in Russia to managing Barcelona, that's some story. It's
1: insane. Oh wait, to see the football. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be some uh, scissor kicks, I reckon. <laughs> speaking of uh, chaps name, Valverde, I'd love your opinion, guys, on the tackle of the week, the action of the week, Federico Valverde basically won the supercopper for Real Madrid because a last-ditch tackle on Alvaro Morata wasn't even a tackle. He just hacked him from behind knowing that he was the last defender, he was past he was past him and the only chance was to just hack him down. Red card straight red, took it. Action of the match, and even on the way off, Diego Simeone congratulated him and said, you just won your team the match. Now, you two have both got this in your locker, I'm sure, but... Whoa, hang on a minute. No, we've Listen
3: got the right man one. on the show <laughs> in Monty. This guy was the the art of craftiness and cuteness, and not, I'm not saying sportsmanship, he was a
1: Well, there's nothing crafty or cute about what. No, there's not. I don't
2: (laughs) think Bridgie was ever the last man tracking anybody back, so that that rules Bridgie out of this conversation. (laughs) But for me, uh, outstanding, world class. That's as (laughs) for me, that's as good as scoring a goal in the last minute and winning the winning the game for your team. But like I said, you know being congratul- congratulated by by Simeon who did done the exact same thing and no doubt he's, he's a hero and he will probably go down as one of the best tackles in history so you know you take a red card any day for that in, in the circumstances and you know at the end of the, the end of the day it's about winning
3: um, I I get excited when I see great goals and you know you, you jump up from your, your couch and you yes that was unbelievable to watch Monty saw that tackle <laughs> and did a lap around his house celebrating because it was so good and that's what got him excited. But yeah, outstanding. You, you can't teach that. Nah. So th- this is something, it comes with them, um, I call it having... Game management, you know? game. Ma- I love it, game management. And you, it's not like you can go out and coach kids and say, listen, if there's an opportunity comes, the first couple minutes of a game, can you go through that player and take a yellow card for the team? If this has happened in the last moment of the game when he's running through, can you just snap somebody and, and take them for your team?
0: It's
3: not seen as the right thing to do. That was instinctively done. That just shows that he is such a clever player, knowing what he was going to do. Because you, you, you see players doing, getting st- on when teams counter-attack. Can you just break them down and slow the team down? That was
1: just genius. Well, that's why Fernandinho is such an amazing player for City. But yeah. it's normally so much more subtle, isn't it? Tactical fouling, yeah. slowing the game down, slowing transition. You know, you do three, four, five fouls, you get the yellow. But this was, nah. The Axel Ridge, just I mean, straight from behind. <laughs>
2: I'm, in, straight I'm in total right. agreement with, with Bridgie there. I mean, look, I'm, I'm coaching the under-21, under-23 20, under teams as well at the minute. Um, and for me, this is, you know, kids don't get taught this anymore. You know, I'm getting them at 18, 19 years old, and they don't even know how to block someone. You know, people run past them, and I'm constantly stopping a session. You know, how can you affect that? Can you block him? And it's like, well, no one's ever told me to do that. Mm. But go back in the day, you know, that's part and parcel. Football is a contact sport. You know, can you block someone? For me, the timing of that tackle—if he gets that wrong and, and goes in too early—and he runs through and scores. But the, to, to you know, like you said, that instinct to sprint back and and, and again that recovery on sprint, which again... knowing it,
3: the time of the game that they were going to play with ten men with a few minutes to go, it's immaterial. He's he's won his team the the match. Genius, and, yeah, the, genius. But
1: Monty, this is also what the kids you coach get by having former. Midfield hard man of Sheffield United uh, as their coach. That's what they're gonna, you know, learn. and they'll all turn into that as well, which would be fantastic to watch. and knock
2: that's, you know, I think uh, Chris Wild. The last when when Sheffield United lost against Liverpool, I don't know if you saw his interview, but he came out after and said know what forget all the tactical technical stuff you know if you can't run forward and run back and block shots and tackle you know all the basic elements of football that that goes you know in teams that win games then like you said you know for me you know the the technical tactical side of it is is all well and good but if you don't have the other side of it you're never going to go on and, and, and make a career in football and like you said, it's it's important now that we teach these, you know, teach these kids, and and that's, you know, even that as an example is it a great example. No, but it's an example of someone that wants to win a game, and and, and what can you do to win the game for your team? And like you said, no doubt they it'll be in a hero in the dressing room after and. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to shake his hand cuz top tackle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tell you got excited by it? Today. Oh yeah, big time. You can see he's he's buzzing in the studio this morning is Monty. Elsewhere, we're turning our attention this week to Germany as well because it's back after a mid-season hiatus and I just wondered given how tight this title race is uh, over the back half, who wins it from here, gents? Because RB Leipzig still top, Munchen Gladbach are only a couple of points back and then the big dogs Bayern Munich and Dortmund, uh, Schalke as well, uh, David Wagner's not too far behind them. Who do you think wins it? I'm going to go for Dortmund. Um,
3: I like them. They're sitting in fourth position. Um, four, what I like is the attacking football that they've got. Forty-six goals for this season. Um, I think only uh, Leipzig have scored more with forty-eight. Their top. And what, are they going to keep Sancho? Not too sure. But I, I, I just feel that this year, and we talk about big clubs. There's nothing better than seeing that yellow. The yellow wall is it uh, behind the goal? I just they bring something. Yes, they defensively they can leak goals, but I really fancy them have a go this season. And if there's any year to have a go, you know Bayern are going to come, but they're, they're going through transition at the moment um, in Munich. And if there's any opportunity, this this is the season for them to go for it. And I, I, I Leipzig are definitely going to be in around because they're doing great things. Spotted David um, who was who over there doing working with the youth teams, and he just says the the work that goes in behind the scenes. And when they get the youngsters coming in, they all play the same system, they all know the roles. So there's not a lot of things need to be changed when they come in. And they're, they're a club going in the right direction. But I, I just feel like Dortmund for me have got a chance.
2: Yeah, I must agree with Bridgie, to be fair. Um, you know, talk about Sancho there. There's been a lot of speculation about him this year. It you know, looked at one point, you know, could that, you know, is. is Things behind the scenes there, a little bit sketchy. But, I mean, look, he's, uh, like you he said, for, for me, they produce good young players, you know, sitting in fourth now, let's say, coming from that fourth position, I think they're going to be, uh, you know, pushing really, really hard towards the end of the season. And, um, yeah, I must agree with Bridget on that. Plus
1: one. the new signing. Yeah. Yeah, Erling Brat Holland coming in. A bit of a surprise for some that he actually went to Dortmund yeah. because United, apparently, Manchester United uh, wanted him. How many goals do you think he'll score over the back half of the season?
2: I don't know. It's uh, like you say. It's a, it's going to be a big change for him coming in coming into a massive team like Dortmund. He's a he's a fantastic player. Um, did you play with his dad?
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Alfie, Alfie was there. Or yeah. well, Bridgem. Bridgem. That's maybe why I think he didn't go to United because of what obviously Roy Keane, mm. Keane finished Alfie's career with that tackle and he talked about it in his book. I know Alfie's a Leeds fan. I know his son is a Leeds fan. And going to United might just tarnish the family the family
1: <laughs> emblem. It one hundred percent would have. You would have been in Leeds when Erling. Was born. He was born in Leeds in 2000, and he's a a lifelong Leeds fan, which is a shame for him.
3: In the players' lounge, in his mother's arms.
1: (laughs) Wow. Okay.
3: You know, and just I mean, Alfie's a great guy, but I'm I'm delighted for his son because he has been a he's a good player. I think he'll get double figures there because they are going to create chances, and I just feel he's he's made a. I think it's a very sensible decision. He's going to a club that give youngsters an opportunity to play the style of football that he likes to play. I felt if he'd gone to United, um, it could have. His development, Uh, and I just think it's a it's a very very smart decision. You remember when Matty Ryan left, and he went via um, was it Bel? He went to Belgium. Belgium. Then he went to Valencia. He he did it the right way. He went around it before he got to where he wanted to be. he Didn't just go. I'm going straight over to the Premier League. I mean, Taggart tried it with Fulham. Adam Taggart. I think he just went too soon, too early and he's done it the right way. I think Haaland has looked at this, and it's nice to see that he's got that mentoring of his dad to know how to do it
1: properly. So you think that Haaland looked at Adam Taggart's journey? <laughs> hey, he could have done that. <laughs> he email. might have done. But, you know, <laughs> it. I'm
2: questioning the uh, talent idea at Leeds, to be fair. If he's at Leeds, uh, as, a, as a kid, he's a big Leeds fan. You know, If you're at Leeds, you're looking at how he's not in our academy, you know, yeah. how is he not developed through this club? But, yeah, I mean, like I say, good, good player. He's uh, got a massive future.
1: I think when he was uh, five or six years old, and Ken Bates comes into Leeds, I think that's probably the uh, the answer to that particular question. But just before we move on from Germany, everybody, Bridgie, when it came to the Champions League draw, went, "Oh, Tottenham! They've got a, they got a good draw there." RB Leipzig. They didn't get one of the big clubs. I think Tottenham are no chance, by the way, of beating beating Leipzig. It, it, it's going to kill me to say this. They have got no chance, Rich. Uh, the,
3: the,
1: I, I've got, uh, I'm lost my words. Yeah. First time ever. <laughs> it is the first time ever. Well, let's bring it back to the home front and talk a little bit about a little bit about Australian football because uh, a bit of coaching drama here that you don't always see in the A League. We spoke last week about how there's no coach at the moment at the Newcastle Jets, but also no full time coach, at least at the Melbourne Victory, because Marco Kurtz has gone. Now you two are coaches, um, you know, moving up through the ranks and no doubt looking at a head coaching gig at some point pretty rare isn't it Monty to see a couple of gigs come up at the same time given how few clubs there are and how little movement we often see mid season at least
2: yeah look obviously there's not many clubs in the A league you know a new one coming in next season but you know to have two vacancies at the same time is pretty rare Um, is it the first time? couldn't tell you good point we'll have to have
1: a look at that but certainly the first time in a long time
2: Mm. But yeah, look, he said the Jets did really well. Um, you know, when the Chinese owners came in, spent a bit of money, uh, got them in the top six, and ended up in the grand final. But it just shows they pulled the money out. Um, you know, it's been tough, tough for Laurie McKinnon. Ernie Merritt lost his uh, marquee players, and, and they find himself bottom of the league, and and, and a tough result at victory, and he loses his job. And then the week after, um, you know, we beat victory at home on the weekend, and. You know, you, you hear the rumours that, you know, things are not happy. But, you know, when when players are not winning games, teams are not winning games. But, I mean, Victory were on a decent run. I think they won three out of the last four before we beat them on the weekend. And, yeah, I mean, like I say it's a, it's a bit of a shock that that he got sacked. Um, but you know, for me, it's like you said, it's there'll be plenty of people in for both jobs. But there's, there's a massive lack of uh, opportunity over here. You know, like I say, 10 first-team jobs, 10 coaches, 10, uh, you know, under-21 under jobs. So it's not like it's, uh, you know... A saturated market, but there'll be plenty of people in for both of them jobs. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I could
3: I could see them um, Kurt's one coming uh, a few weeks back. I, I felt like it, uh, that is a huge job. The the fans d- demand the winning mentality, and I think Kevin Muscat delivered that as well. They had Ange Postecoglou there. That was it. That was a tough gig. But I, I felt for Ernie at the at the Jets, like uh, Monty said. There, they lost the marquee players. They had suspensions coming in. Um, it didn't have as much of a recruitment drive as what they've had in previous years. And I, I, I just felt if he'd got to the back end of January, players were coming back. Um, Wes is on the mend. Um, Arroyo's on the way back. They, they might have had a chance to, to kick on and, and transform their season around. an early, obviously, whatever's going on. And, and I did feel from because in the region, Newcastle, he'd done a lot behind the scenes with Laurie McKenna um, to get the sponsors back on board. He was going and doing functions around the community. He embraced the area. He understood the culture. And he wanted that working mentality, and it was it was a it was a shock. Even though sitting bottom, I did feel for him because I thought he'd done a fantastic job, and that I think he still had unfinished business.
1: Well, a couple of gigs. Uh, Victory won't, of course, have a gig available until next season, but there will be stacks and stacks of CVs. You would think going across that particular desk elsewhere in Australian football, it's amazing the debate that's really popped up around the potential move to winter. Bridgie, we spoke on scores on Sunday at the weekend, going about whether we think it's a good idea. Yourself, Scott McDonald and John Aloisi all agreed that ideally the A-League would be played in winter, but Monty, we haven't yet got your opinion and it's amazing how many opinions are out there. It's been a, a topic that's really kind of illuminated the certainly the, the social media world in football, which as, as we know is everything in football. What do you think, Monty? Should it be in winter? Yeah, for sure. I think that it should definitely be in winter. Uh, I mean, I played out here for five, six
2: years and you know the, the product that you're delivering on some days when it's 35, 40 degrees is uh, you know it's not... You know, it's, it's not a great product uh, for the for the obvious reasons, but I think, like I say, aligning it with the uh, with the Asian Asian leagues as well, and the MPL, yeah, and the MPL. I mean, for me, I was just going to mention that, but you know, to have a uh, to have a young reserve team underneath that, like that you know, first team players that are not playing, they can drop down, they can play games. Um, you know, for me, that's 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 needed over here because we've a, a lack of games at, at the top level. You know, the players that are in and around the squads, uh, you know, especially a club like the Mariners where, you know, we don't have the the spending power of the victories in the Sydneys and they can go with a really good squad of experienced players, you know, so we, we you know the players need games, you know, players only improve by, by playing games. Doesn't matter how much training you do, you can't emulate real games. And I think, you know, being aligned with MPL and, and you know, a winter sport, cooler, cooler temperatures. It's a no-brainer, and and I think now is a perfect time. You know, the A League becoming independent. Um, you know, a lot of decisions can be made now by the owners that that you know will have traction. Whereas before, it was you know it was all it was all run differently. So for me, it's a perfect time for them to to seriously have a look at this. And you know, I think the Australian football game needs it. I think it really does need a a, a change um, because you know. Look at the MLS now—it's flying. Uh, you know, when I first came out here, the Del Piero came out here, and the A-League was was flying. It was buzzing. There was a lot of hype about it, and um, say so since then the MLS has taken off. and uh, the air leagues really uh, took a back seat from there but I think like I said now is a perfect time to, to make some change
1: certainly it's a good time to be looking at that and plenty of other issues in the game because there's a new CEO in town for the FFA uh, long list of priorities no doubt about that he would have hit the ground running and gone oh, okay I've got a fair bit to do here Bridgie for you the number one priority that you would like to see James Johnson look at from day one the thing that you most want to see looked at and potentially changed
3: well, there's no doubt James is going to make a massive impact he's going to leave a legacy in Australian football. Uh, I believe that because of his journey through football. He understands the game. He's played it. He's gone away to America. He's got his business degree. He's worked for FIFA. He knows global football. He's got unbelievable networking ability. The main priority at this moment in time, he's had a month to sit down and think about it while he was getting um, everything tied up with the City group and finalised before he came over here. The future of the A-League. And we just talked about moving the possibly moving the league. He's got to figure out the future and the direction of where the where the game needs to go, what needs to be done. But also, I think the priority as well is to get the federations in a line and talking to each other, where everybody is on the same page, going in the same direction and not having the hidden agendas or their own egotistical... Um, plans in place. It's all got to be on the same page. He's got to be open and honest to everybody and everybody's got to try and follow his leadership and
1: his direction of where he wants to take the game and the A-League is the priority. You know the man as well. I believe you've bugged him previously for tickets at Manchester City games. Yep.
3: Anybody <laughs> that can get tickets at City is
1: a friend of mine. <laughs> I wonder does he think the same thing but as a as a football person, as a bloke, tell us a, a bit about James.
3: Just a lovely nice guy. When, when you When you meet James you know straight away that he's he he's got this aura about him where you've he's got integrity. You you, you believe and you you entrust in him, uh, and he's just a, a genuinely nice guy and he loves talking about football and that is why it's so refreshing because anybody that can talk about football that is going to lead our game finally, I think it's
1: uh, it's brilliant and I'm I'm delighted he's got the job. It's a huge win, that in itself, isn't it? And what a lot of people have pointed to, the fact that he is a football person. Just briefly, before we move on from the Aussie stuff, the under 23 side under Graham Arnold are a couple of games away from being in the Olympics. They're in a quarterfinal in that championship, AFC championship against Syria. They finished top of their group with two draws and a victory. How important do you think it is, Monty, for Australia to be in the Olympics? Obviously, it's not the biggest tournament or the biggest two or three tournaments in world football, but we haven't been there for a while. The Matildas will be there. For the boys, how big do you think that would be?
2: Yeah, it's huge. I mean, look, when Graham Arnold took the, 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 the national team job, you know, um, you know, Graham Arnold brought me out to Australia, to be honest, a uh, very good coach. And uh, I think when he took the national team job, one of his uh, his number one things he wanted to do was take that under-23 squad. And that's not, you know, that's for the future because he sees that, you know, the country needs some, some good young players coming through, the next generation. So for me, it's massively important because, you know, you're looking at, the twenty-three squad he's got at the minute. There's some good players in there. Uh, so for me, you know, them getting to the Olympics and him using that squad to to keep building and and, and keep teaching them boys uh, that you know, hopefully a lot of them will follow on through to the full national team and and you know, he needs that for the success um, of the of the full national team. So yeah, massively important, and you know, they're in doing a good position now. They just need to uh, make sure they can they can uh, try and grasp that uh, Olympic spot.
1: Yeah, they need to finish top three, so obviously they're in the final eight at the moment. If they lose a semi-final, they have to then go and win the third place game. Now, boys, January window, I want you to fill in the blanks here on this one. If Manchester United sign blank, they will finish top four. Bridgie? Pele. Oh, okay. Maradona. Even at their age. (laughs) You think that'll be enough?
3: (laughs) All day long. (laughs) I would... I was thinking about thinking about this um Pelle could potentially save them yes still now. <laughs> Realistically I just feel like they need somebody that can unlock a door and give the forward players they've got the pace,
1: they've got Rashford they've got Greenwood um or oh, Martial. Well, it's amazing when Juan matter did that last weekend the difference. That's the that
3: key element of a player like that. When you've you know defensively Maguire's there they've got Mata shooting, do the defensive job. They're missing Pogba. Somebody that can create the chances and play the game the way they want to play. One matt has a beautiful player like that. I see David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, they know how to do it. And Tottenham, Hotspur have got to play an Eriksen. Doesn't want to be there. I think United could, should go and get, uh, get Eriksen and get him in there as their playmaker.
1: Well, that leads me on perfectly to the next one. Monty, Tottenham need Christian Eriksen to blank. Leave himself. <laughs> <Piss off. laughs> no, <laughs> look, I SAP. think they
2: can cash in now in January. He doesn't want to be there, you know. The like you said, it, it was uh, this has been an ongoing saga for the whole of the season, and he's a top class player. He hasn't performed, you know. And he got
3: and booed last game.
2: Yeah, well, again, that shows, you know, they don't care what happened last season, the Champions League final. You know, it's you know, there's no doubt the fans will blame him for a little bit of the, the the slumping form this year. And you say Mourinho's come in, possibly thought he could try and keep him, but I think that's uh, obviously that he doesn't want to stay. So for me, if they can shift him on, get some money for him in January. If not, they're going to lose him at the end of the season for free, so... No, Bearing in mind, one
3: has just scored to get United through as well. Wow, well,
2: okay. Oh,
1: live, live updates
3: and on the, the podcast. That's Mata, we've just been talking about them. Unbelievable. About Carlisle.
1: Carlisle have just missed out 3-4. Oh, that is uh, that is big for Manchester United. No shots on target in the last game. At least they've got one that's nice for them to go through over Wolves. Moving on on our blanks, Bridgie. If I was James Madison and had the choice between Leicester and Manchester United, I would choose blank. Leicester. Playing games in a position
3: that he's enjoying, um, another player that I love watching—he's exciting.
1: I just feel like that is right for him. I think if he goes to United, uh, I'm not
3: sure. Another
1: uh. well, the reason, yeah, the reason I bring this up because we mentioned it last week, and and United, I, I don't think are going terribly hard for Madison, but. John Aloisi on our show on the weekend was adamant, oh no, you would still go to Manchester United over Leicester as a club. It's You get paid so much more, it's a bigger club, but what's, what's really sure the appeal?
3: Would. I'm not sure he would at this moment in time. Um, I don't know James Madison's mindset, don't know who he supports, what his boyhood clubs were. Um, I just think at this moment in time, going to play Champions League football with Leicester. Uh, I think he's, he's better off where he is
2: yeah i probably disagree i'd probably if i was him I'd, I'd, I'd probably choose manchester united because looking at the big picture if he signs a long-term contract there like he said he's one of the biggest clubs in the world and you know manchester united need to need to recruit i think he would be a fantastic recruitment for them and i think players have shown you know like eddie how we talk about they stick around it's leicester it's a good club i'm happy and you know possibly two years down the line if things don't go right there brendan rogers leaves you'll regret you know, he may, might not never get the chance again, so that's always going to be in the back of his mind as a player and, and then a the manager.
1: Finally, Monty, the biggest move of the window will be blank, signing for blank. I'm pleased you've got this one. I was going
2: to say Madison for Manchester United after that. <laughs> I, I'll keep it easy. <laughs> Sancho
3: to Chelsea. Nah.
1: Where? Where is he going to go? I think he'll stay. Do you? Yeah, I think so. Don't know. Hot, don't. hot property. January is always a little bit overhyped, isn't it? It's always spoken about at length, big deals. You can pretty much you know, sometimes double the price of players. It becomes easier just to hang on, and I'd be surprised if he went at all, let alone to Chelsea. But let's see. It might even be Haaland yet to Dortmund, depending on how they go over the back half of the season. Bridgie mentioned the fact that uh, Manchester United are through in the FA Cup, so to are Cardiff. But looking ahead to the next round of the FA Cup, I just wanted to... Pick this one out, Bridgie, from the fixtures. Shrewsbury Town against Liverpool. That is awesome for Shrewsbury. In League One, that'll be a big match-up when the Reds come to town, of course. Your old teammate, actually, at Hull, Sam Ricketts, is their manager. Do you have any stories about Sam or memories uh, about Sam?
3: We just used to call him Jimmy Hill. There was a guy who used to um, commentate, and he just had the, the longest nose and the longest chin on television. One ugly man, and Sam used to come and I was just like, you look like Jimmy Hill, and he was like... It's not a compliment, mate, and it, it stuck. And the other one he looked like was Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> you remember Wurzel Gummidge, Monty? Yeah, I do. <laughs> He's a fantastic scarecrow character that came to life. Um, but Sam's a great lad. He, he had the banter. He enjoyed it. But, oh, I'll tell you what, he could scare kids. So his, his
1: tactics have got to be, can we go out and scare the opposition like our scared kids? <laughs> well, well, I like your tactics from one of the uh, the larger nostril man, men around to get on the front foot and give someone else a stick about it. Well, my, mine's like a proboscis monkey. I don't mind. Mine's got a little bit more girth to it. His is just like a lean, mean fighting machine. Anyway, Sam, from all of us at Optus Sport, good luck in the next round of the FA Cup when Shrewsbury take on the might of Liverpool. Now, in the short term, gents, let's look ahead. Quickly to this weekend, in the FA WSL, Sam Kerr yet to get off the mark, but this weekend Chelsea are against Arsenal. Viviana Midamar, top scorer in the league, arguably the best player to this point. Sam comes to town and all of a sudden it's a shootout between those two. What a game awaits us in this one, Bridgie, because both Chelsea and Arsenal, along with Man City going for the title, this should be fantastic. It's live on Sport 2. It's going to be, I'll tell you what there will be, Rich, there will be Goals
3: um it's been fantastic watching the Arsenal girls this season they've they've destroyed um some of the lesser clubs uh, in the division and, and this is going to be a classic and i'm just hoping to see sam finally you know find the back of the net and get a career kick started could it it's great to have matilda's girls
1: playing in that in that league now. Well, she's been very close uh, in her first two appearances. She'd, uh, you'd suspect goal's not too far away for Sam Kerr. And as Bridgie mentioned, Monty, Caitlin Ford, Hayley Rasso, uh, we led uh, lead to believe close to moves over there. You think maybe Sam Kerr going over there will open the floodgates? All of a sudden we're seeing two or three girls linked with moves. You would think at some point we're going to see a lot of Matildas playing in the UK.
2: Yeah, look, I know there's massive investment now in, in the women's game in England, and you know, working with Alan Stagic at, at the minute for me, is, is brilliant. You know, he's probably one of the hardest working coaches and, and managers that I've worked with, and he's worked with a lot of these uh, li- these girls. So again, it's they've definitely had a good uh, you know good coaching, um, and yeah, look, it's a, it's a shame for this country that they're all uh, the best players are leaving, but again, it shows that you know in, in England now they're really investing in, in money heavily into that women's game, and it's great to see it growing.
1: Elsewhere this weekend, the other televised game in Sport: Birmingham and Manchester City on Sunday night in the early hours of Monday morning. Arsenal and Chelsea, that's a big one. Remember, every other game that's not live will be on demand on the Sport app as well. Plenty of goals and highlights uh, as well to get stuck into on the app. Quickly, let's look ahead at the fixtures this weekend in the Premier League. We've mentioned a few already. The early kickoff on Saturday night, Watford and Tottenham. Nigel Pearson and Watford are in fantastic form at the moment. Tottenham, who on earth knows what's going to happen there? In the early hours of Sunday morning, Arsenal and Monty's old boys in Sheffield United. He gives it the fist pump in the studio as well. What a game. Well, last time out, United won that one 1-0 at Bremel Lane. Bit of a different story now with Arteta in charge. Arsenal, they look much better. Maybe not yet able to piece a 90-minute performance together. But how are you feeling about that one, Monty?
2: Yeah, I'm positive. You know, you only look at uh, Sheffield United's performances away at Man City, away at Tottenham this season. <laughs> Arsenal definitely won't be looking forward to them arriving. You know, Arteta's come in there. Obviously, weaved a, a, a little bit of life into them. But I think the way that, that Sheffield United play, they're going to make it difficult to ask for Arsenal. And again, the pressure's on Arsenal. You know, a new manager, are they going to win? Are they going to improve now? And like I said, it's for me, it's... Uh, be it's going to be a good game, and you know, I fancy him to go at least get a draw there. Um, you know,
3: it's going to be tough. Have you been coaching the lads, the overlapping centre halves as well? To be honest, I encourage the centre backs to get forward.
2: Yeah, we've uh, we've got one centre back in the in the in the NYL squad who, to be fair, he ends up in the box more than some of the midfielders, and it's been unlucky not to score a few goals this season. But yeah, I mean, it's great to watch. I think they've. Uh, They've, they've really brought um, you know uh, energy to the Premier League this season and a lot of teams have struggled to work them out. And then wide areas with the o- overlapping runs and creating overloads and they get people in the box and you know Bridges is a striker. You, nothing better you want than people out wide crossing balls in the box and most of the time it hit you on the head, all the nose and went in. So <laughs>
1: Definitely the nose. Great <laughs> we know football coaching is a lot about emulation. I'm not too sure we'll see so many coaches doing the overlapping centre-halves because no opposition coach can work it out. Do, do you know how hard
3: that is to try and replicate and do the the amount of work that goes on the training ground for that coach to deliver a message to the players to take it on board in the way they have and for it to work week in, week out and nobody to work out how to stop it? Uh, uh,
1: fair, fair play to uh, him. He's done well as a Leeds fan. It- <laughs> really pains me to admit it, but Chris Wilder has done very well. Let's move on. Brighton and Villa elsewhere in the early hours of Sunday morning. Manchester City and Palace. Sergio Aguero might cut into Alan Shearer's 83 goal lead in that one at home against Roy Hodgson and the Eagles. Norwich and Bournemouth is massive for both clubs, no doubt about it. Southampton are in such good form at the moment. They welcome a Wolves side smarting after being dumped out of the FA Cup. West Ham and Everton and then Newcastle and Chelsea is the late game overnight on Saturday. Then Sunday night, Burnley and Leicester Liverpool and Manchester United. Is it still the biggest game in English football? Who knows? Let's see what we get from Anfield at the weekend. Manchester United, almost 30 points behind Liverpool in the league. But everything is equal when they step onto the field on Sunday night. That's uh, about it for us, gents. Thanks very much for your company, Bridgie. That's a shame. Thank you.
3: very. It wasn't a shame saying thank you. I was just saying it's a shame it's over. But thank you very much. Really
1: enjoyed it. You've been very nice today. You wished everyone a happy new year. You don't want to leave. Can you make sure you leave? Yeah. Good, Monty.
2: <laughs> it's been a been a pleasure to be here. It's a nice a bridges back from his holiday, back in back into work. So and nah, brilliant. Really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, uh, good luck to everybody this weekend.
1: Well, uh, the Mariners going to win again this weekend.
2: Yeah, they got uh, Western United away. Um, so yeah, for me, you know, like I said, Alan Stadge is one of the hardest working coaches I've worked with. You know, we've we've got a good bunch of lads together this season. Um, and off the back of that victory win, hopefully the boys will go there full of confidence and and and, and you know. Go for, go for two in the row but yeah it's uh you know, we're, we're confident we can go there and put
1: in a good performance very good it was a fantastic win at the weekend over the victory not so good for victory who have since left their coach as always a reminder that everything is available on the Sport app this weekend 10 Premier League games a couple of games in the FA WSL scores on Sunday on Sunday morning as well Michael Bridges will be amongst the guests on the couch between now and the next Gagan Potter a reminder you out there enjoy your football